0: Tonight, if you will, please, and turn to the book of John, John chapter number eleven. John chapter number eleven. I wanna. I'm gonna be uh, pretty teachy tonight. This is gonna be uh, a little bit more like a class. Uh, and I, I, I. And God's been so good this week, and God's given me some things that I can't wait to preach to you. But I want to. I want to give you something tonight, and I want to give you some food for thought and. Uh, since this is a Wednesday night, and so hang with me tonight. We're going to use our Bibles considerably this evening. And so keep your Bibles open, if you will. We'll put a few things on the screen, but most of the scriptures we'll turn, to, uh, we'll turn to tonight. And so John chapter number 11 in your Bibles. And when you find your place, let's all stand tonight, if you're able, out of respect for the reading of God's Word. John chapter number 11 And we're gonna start in verse number six and we're gonna read a little bit of scripture tonight. We're gonna read down through verse number 25. John chapter 11 and verse six, the Bible says, when he had therefore heard that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, he saith to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee and goest thou thither again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there's no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. And then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking uh, of rest and sleep. And then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. And then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, or about two miles And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Most of you know the story. We're not going to finish it tonight. This is the story where the Lord Jesus raises Lazarus back to life again. It's a great story. We've preached, for it, uh, preached from it numerous times. But I want to draw your attention tonight, if I could, to verse number 24. That's our text, and that's sort of going to be our jumping board tonight. Verse 24, Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And that's what I want to talk to you about. By the way, did y'all notice the last three songs all had to do with that? tonight in the service and we didn't get together before service and coordinate all that but as they were singing and playing I thought Lord it's amazing how you put a service together and so the resurrection at the last day what is that what is the resurrection at the last day are you going to be involved in the resurrection at the last day by the way there are several different resurrections they're going to take place And so I want to talk to you today uh, about that, the resurrection at the last day and what exactly it is and what it means. And so you may be seated tonight and we'll jump into this and we're just, uh, listen, the outline's not not alliterated tonight. We're just going to throw out some thoughts this evening and you can write some of these down if you want or if you want to write some of these scriptures down, you can go back and look at them later. But let's go to the Lord and ask God to help us and we'll jump into the uh, Bible study tonight. Father, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, thank you for the privilege to be here tonight. It is a privilege. We're so blessed tonight. And God, thank you that here in America that we're able to have church. And we're just grateful for this place. And we're thankful for your blessings. Heavenly Father, accept accept the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. And so Holy Spirit, we pray that you will breathe on us tonight. I pray that you'll have your way tonight in the service. Lord, if all we do is come and sing a song together and if all we do is come here and a man just gets up and teaches from the pulpit, we'll go home the same way we came. But if the Holy Spirit will come here tonight and work through the music and the singing, and if the Spirit of God could somehow work through the pastor tonight, then we'll go home changed and we'll go home motivated. So Lord, I pray that you'll, you'll do that tonight, work in the hearts of our dear people. And, and then Lord, I pray that you'll work in and through the live stream and Lord, all these things that are happening right now, I pray that you just supernaturally touch them. And God, I pray that you'll uh, keep us on track and help us to say only that, that you'd be pleased with and help us to skip over that, that you would not be pleased with. And, I pray that you'll save the lost and encourage the saved, and I pray most of all that the precious Son of God will be high and lifted up tonight. Lord, bring back to my thoughts tonight what what you've given me in the study, please, and we thank you and love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen. Have you ever done this? Have you ever read something in the Bible and it immediately struck curiosity in your mind? Maybe as you were reading your Bible, maybe you're doing your daily devotions and maybe you came upon a certain word or a phrase and as you read that phrase in your Bible, you thought this, why does the Bible say it like that? What is the Bible talking about when it it said that? I'm pretty sure I'm preaching to folks that don't know the whole Bible from cover to cover. I'm pretty sure about that. Somebody said the more you learn, the more you learn you don't know. And there's so much in the Word of God that you can study the Word of God and then you can go back and read that same scripture. And then there's, there's things in that same scripture. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was reading John chapter 11 not to teach this tonight. I was reading John chapter 11 to uh, really to, to, to give you something else. And God struck a, a chord here in, in what I'm teaching tonight. But I, as I read this the other day, John chapter 11 And verse number 24, this was the thought I had. Why does the Bible phrase it like that? Why why does the Bible word it like that? The resurrection at the last day. The resurrection at the last day. As I read that, I I, uh, couldn't remember if I'd ever taught on that. And I was pretty sure I knew what it meant, but I wanted to make sure that I knew what it meant. And so I, as, as often as the case, I begin to go to, to commentary after commentary and man, I've got some great ones. I've got a lot of great commentaries, and these guys are, man, these guys are absolutely amazing commentators. And the only problem with commentaries is that a lot of times if you're having a problem with a certain verse and you go to the commentary, evidently they're having a problem with the same verse. Because every commentary I went to, (laughs) skip this one. And I love Dr. McGee, man. I'm telling you what, I love reading Dr. McGee's commentary, but Dr. McGee didn't say much about this verse, and I, so I went to, uh, I went to four or five or six, probably other commentaries, and Every commentary I went to skipped this verse and they talked about the verses before this verse and they talked about the verses after this verse, but they didn't talk about this verse. And I found myself getting a little bit aggravated and I thought, man, why is it these guys are skipping this verse? And, uh, and one of the reasons I think they're skipping is because it's one of those verses that are just a little, a little harder to understand. And so I begin to dig and dig and dig and pray and ask God to try to, to teach me something here I want to talk to you a little bit about that, the resurrection at the last day. Now, let me begin today with some introductory remarks. Just the fact that Martha mentions the resurrection is pretty amazing. And I'll tell you why, because the resurrection, uh, especially back in Martha's day, the resurrection was something of a mystery in the Old Testament. In fact, it was such a mystery that there were quite, Uh, There there were many among the Jews that totally rejected the thought of a resurrection in its entirety. There was a large group back in that day. In fact, they were a a, a group of leadership. I guess they were part of the Sanhedrin, uh, a group called the Sadducees. Very well known. And the Sadducees were a religious group that totally refuted the belief that that there was any type of a resurrection. Not only did they deny that the resurrection of Christ, but they denied any resurrection. And this is why so many times as you're reading through the book of Acts, as, uh, and not just the book of Acts, but as you're reading through the gospels and you find the Lord Jesus Christ talking about his own resurrection, you'll find that many times, boy, they, the religious leaders got so upset. And then as you get in the book of Acts and the different apostles are preaching on the resurrection, Uh, You'll find these religious groups getting so upset at these apostles for teaching and preaching on the resurrection. In fact, in Acts chapter four, verses one through three, we find Peter and John preaching on the resurrection. The Bible says in Acts chapter four, verse number one, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Listen to verse two, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Boy, if you wanted to get some folks fired up back in this day, just teach on the resurrection. And 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 that was a button that you could push that God's folks really upset. In fact, the Bible says in verse number three, and they laid laid hands on them and put them in hold under the next day, for it was now even And so it wasn't that 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 Peter and John were breaking the law, but they were just preaching and teaching on the resurrection. And these folks were so passionate that there was no the resurrection that it got them fired up. You we won't do it tonight, but you can go to Acts chapter seven. And you'll find a preaching deacon. His name was Stephen. And this deacon was filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, and wisdom. And Stephen is is preaching. And boy, you go back and read Acts chapter 7, and I mean, man, he's just telling them like it is. And he knows his stuff. Uh, Stephen knows all about the Jewish tradition, and, and man, he's just preaching, and uh, and and then all of a sudden Stephen makes not a mistake. In their eyes a mistake, not in our eyes a mistake, but Stephen begins to preach on the resurrection. And the Bible says that they are so upset that the Bible says that they cried with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they ran upon him with one accord. And our Bible says in Acts chapter 7 that they cast him out of the city and stoned him. You know why? Because he preached the resurrection. And because he preached the resurrection, boy, it got him upset. What is this resurrection at the last day? By the way, by the way, did you know that Jesus never shied away from this? Uh, In fact, if you're still in John chapter 11, I want you to turn back just a few pages to John chapter six, and the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned this subject quite often. In John chapter number six and verse number 39, Notice what the Lord says. He says in verse number 39, John 6, verse 39, Jesus said, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Well, that sounds like more Martha was talking about. Look down at the same chapter, verse number 40. Just a few verses later, verse number 40, and this is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. Boy, don't you know this was getting those folks fired up. But he's not done. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Skip down to verse number 44. The Bible says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw, uh, draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. But he's not done. Skip down to verse number 54. And Jesus really is getting them fired up. And he says, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. So I wanna to talk to you tonight about that. What is, what is exactly, what is the resurrection at the last day? Well, we'll put just a few things up on your screen here tonight. How about this? Number one, I think it's important for us to understand that Christ's first resurrection made the last resurrection possible. The doctrine of the resurrection is so important. And uh, we have people nowadays who are saying, uh, man, let's just drop our doctrine. Let's just all get together and, and hold hands and come around the campfire and sing Kumbaya. And it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what we believe. And man, let's just get rid of our doctrine. It doesn't matter if you believe in the virgin birth of Christ. And it doesn't matter if you believe in the second coming. And it doesn't matter if you believe in the resurrection. Man, let's just all get together. And man, let's just reach the Word. I want to tell you something, church. That may sound really good and warm and cozy and all that kind of thing, but we cannot drop our doctrine we are to preach and teach doctrine. And I want us to understand something tonight like that the doctrine of the resurrection is imperative. It's not something we can compromise on. It's not something that we can just say, well, we're just we we're, no, we're not going to worry too much about that. Oh no, no, no. I want you to understand that the doctrine of the resurrection is important and it's important because Christ's resurrection was the first fruits of future resurrections. Now, take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn to the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 in your Bibles, and I'll I'll do my best to hurry through this the best I can tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and look at verse number number 20. Notice what our Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 20. The Bible says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first. Fruits of them that slept. Verse 21, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Look at verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the what? First fruits, Christ the first fruits. And then what's the next word? Afterward, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, they are Christ at His coming. So Christ's resurrection was the first fruit. Now you say, preacher, first fruits. What in the world does that mean? Well, under the Old Testament law, when it was the time of harvest, they had went out and they had worked and they had strived and they had uh, they had tilled the ground and they had planted the seed and they had watered the ground and they had fertilized the ground and 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 those crops begin to grow and now it's harvest time. And it's time to go out and it's time to glean what they've worked so hard toward. And so they're getting ready. They're getting ready to harvest the crop. But here was under the Old Testament law, it was necessary that they go out into the field and gather the first fruits and bring those first fruits to the Lord and offer those first fruits to the Lord. Here's the thing. It was forbidden for them to go out and harvest all the other crops until first, They had brought the first fruits to the Lord. And after they had presented these first fruits to God, then they were able to go out and they were able to bring in all the harvest of their field. And this is what our Bible's teaching us here that before there can be future resurrections that take place, it was imperative that Christ be resurrected first. He was the first fruit. And so, thank God, now that Christ has been resurrected, you and I can also look to be resurrected. And so, number one, we said this. We said Christ's first resurrection made the last resurrection possible. Number two, though, we noticed number two, the resurrection at the last day comes in two phases. It comes in two phases. How about this? Number one, for the church, it'll be the rapture. Now take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn over to the first Thessalonians, chapter number four tonight. First Thessalonians chapter number four, and look, if you will, at verse number 13. And I know for some of you this is old hat, but we, we have to always keep in mind that we have new Christians coming in, and, and you may have heard this a lot of times, but there may be somebody here tonight that's never heard this not one time in their entire life. And so First John chap- I'm sorry, First Thessalonians, chapter four. And look at verse number 13. And the Bible says this, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, when the Bible uses the word asleep there, of course, it's talking about those that have passed on, those that have have went to the grave. Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, now there it is, there's those first fruits. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now that just means this. That means that those that are in the grave are gonna get a little bit of a head start on us. Now, I don't understand all that, but I but I, I understand this, that evidently those that have went before us, those that have died uh, prior to us and they're part of the church, uh, the, God's gonna give them a head start and they're gonna come out of the grave and the Bible says the dead shall rise, uh, shall rise first. Then, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, notice those last few words: "Shall be caught up together." Now, if you like to mark your Bible up, I want you to underline the words "caught up," or circle it, or highlight it. it. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the in the air. The words "caught up" means this: it's the Greek word harpazo. We get a word from that harpoon. It means this. It means to seize. Or to snatch. Now, let me show you something. Let me show you what. Let me watch, watch closely. I didn't snatch that, I picked it up. There's a difference. Snatch, this is snatch. You know, snatch, you've had kids. <laughs> I know snatch because I have grandkids. And we were around the Sunday table uh, on Sunday and I have some, I, I love white chocolate and I, I had some of that, uh, what is that chocolate I eat? That lint chocolate? Yeah, lint. And I share it. I graciously share it, you know, with Moses and Adrian. And I had one little piece left and this little Body came over to the table and there was this one little piece left and he snatched it. I saw him. I, I saw him do it. He didn't, by the way, he didn't pick it up. He snatched it. He was hoping that I was not watching. And I said, you little snatch, you two pebbles, uh, chocolate. And wait a minute now. That's what the Bible says the rapture is going to be like. The Bible says that the Lord is going to come and the Lord is going to snatch us out. He's going he to rapture us out. This is not going to be something that's going you know, to unfold slowly, that's going to happen. And people say, well, you know, and I heard this the other day. Somebody said, somebody said the other day, I'm not going to get saved now. I'm going to get saved on my deathbed. I thought, do what? Are you kidding me? And then other people say, well, I'm not gonna get saved now, pastor, because I've got too many things I wanna do. but, But when the rapture of the church takes place, I will call you and I'll let you lead me to Jesus. You might as well not call me. I won't be here. And you won't have time to call anybody and you won't have time to come to the church and you won't have time to get your Bible and you won't have time to read a gospel track. You won't have time for any of that because the Bible says that he is going to harpazo. He's going to harpoon us. He's going to snatch us out of this place. And before you know it, it's going to be done. And we are going to be gone. It's called the rapture of the church. Now, let me give you the chronological order here for the church. Once the rapture takes place, when Jesus raptures us out of this world, there's another event called the judgment seat of Christ. And after the judgment seat of Christ, then the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, is there an Old Testament story that would... Illustrate this New Testament truth, and I believe there is. I believe there's quite a few of them actually. But in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and you don't have to go there, but in 2 Samuel chapter 9, the Bible says that David has a friend, and his name is Jonathan. And David loves Jonathan, he loves him with his soul, with all his heart. David and Jonathan are incredibly close. Jonathan is killed, and David's heartbroken. And David is the king and he, he comes to his servants and he said, is there any left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to the house of Jonathan? There's a servant by the name of Ziba. Ziba speaks up and he says, master, there is. His name is Mephibosheth. He's a little cripple boy. Uh, he, uh, probably not a boy, he's probably a man now, but anyway, he's a little cripple, and, and he lives down here in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar, it means pastureless. Not much industry there. Not much room for success or, or progress. It was a, most scholars believe that Lodabar was a ghetto. And Mephibosheth lived down there in the ghetto, and he was he was part of Saul's lineage. and And David says to his servants, he says, "I want you to do something. I want you to I want you to uh, take the entourage down here to Lodabar, and I want you to fetch Mephibosheth, and I want you to bring him back." and And the Bible says that David. Can you imagine that they hear David's servant go? And man, they've got the king's horses, and they've got the king's seal, and they've got the king's stallions, and they've got the king's chariots, and 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 they come. They come rolling into Lodabar, the ghetto, the ghetto town. They come rolling. Here's this royalty and and secret service and uh, and all of this comes rolling in. And, of course, all the people are looking thinking, oh, my, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And word begins to spread. Word begins to spread. And and they say they're here to get Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. And the Bible says that they load Jonathan up and they bring him back. To the palace and Mephibosheth leaves the ghetto and gets to start eating at the king's table now you say pastor why would you tell that story because I'm telling you church one of these days we're leaving Lodabar you say, Pastor, I'm so sick of it, and I get it, I, I I get it. You say, Pastor, I'm so sick of it, I'm so sick of the COVID thing, I, I'm so sick of the politics, I'm so sick of, of the prejudice, I'm so sick of the protest, I'm so sick of all that's going on in our world, I'm just so sick of it. And by the way, if you are a bona fide child of God, you're supposed to be sick of it. But I've got some great news that I get to share with this church that there is coming a day when Jesus is coming again with his holy entourage and you and I are leaving Lodabar. And we're going to the king's palace. And we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, but hallelujah, we will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will enjoy a 1,000 year honeymoon with the Lamb of God and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so the, ra- the the resurrection at the last day for the church will be the rapture. How about this? The resurrection at the last day for the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints will be at the second coming of Christ or revelation. We use that word sometimes. At the end of the, now follow, follow me closely here tonight. At the end of the seven years of tribulation, Christ will come to the earth to rule and reign. He will put down the Antichrist and Old Testament saints and those who have been martyred during the tribulation period will be resurrected at that time. They will be resurrected by the Lord. Now, real real quickly tonight, take your Bibles and turn over to Daniel chapter 12 and I'm watching the clock tonight. And so y'all hanging there with me. Daniel, the prophet Daniel spoke of this. Daniel chapter number 12, he talked about the resurrection at the last day. Daniel chapter 12 and verse number one. Notice what the prophet Daniel says. Daniel chapter 12, verse number one. Found your place, say amen. Amen. You guys are good. And at that time, shall Michael stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. We know he's talking about the tribulation period. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book, look at verse two, the Bible says, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now turn over real, real quickly to uh, back of your Bible, Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter number 20. And look at verse number four tonight. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number four. The Bible says, and I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. These are tribulation saints. And for the word of God, in which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so again, the resurrection at the last, at the last day comes in two phases. Number one, the rapture. Number two, the revelation. Now, you say, pastor, is that important? I think it is important. Because there are there are some people who teach that there is one great final judgment and one final resurrection. And, and by the way, I'm not I'm not enemies, I'm not enemies with those folks. But I wanna but I want us to understand what the word of God teaches. There is no way, now please hear me out tonight, and uh, and by the way, just in case you're wondering, be careful because you might be surprised at people who believe that. I have not one but two, I have two Thompson Chain Bibles. Frank Thompson is probably one of the greatest scholars that's ever lived, but Thompson believed in one final judgment. He didn't believe in the rapture of the church and, and, uh, and what we're teaching tonight. He believed in one just one major judgment. And I want to say this tonight, Calvary. There, there is no way that the rapture and the second coming can be the same event. Amen. Because there are some major differences between the two. And if you'll give me just a, it's 816. We can get this done tonight. I want to show you tonight real quickly. I want you to take your Bibles and turn over to, to Matthew chapter 24 tonight. And, and I'll do this super quick, but I wanna show you some, some differences and then some major differences between the rapture of the church and the revelation. And because there are some people who believe, well, you know what, this you, and that's what they call it, the rapture heresy. There's no way that there's a rapture and then there's a revelation. It's all the same. It's not all the same. Right. There is a difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so, Matthew chapter twenty-four in your Bibles, and look at verse number five. Now, the Bible says there. Uh, understand, understand something that in order for the rapture to take place, not one thing has to be fulfilled. You say, preacher, you mean, you mean the rapture could take place tonight? Absolutely. And I hope it does. I hope it does. What a great day to go to heaven. What a great day for our Lord to come. And then there are people who hear me say that and they they think, not here, but people hear me and hear preachers say that and they're like, oh, there's no way. And the Bible says when you least expect it, get ready. Because that's when it's gonna happen. And so there's not one thing that has to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place, but... The second coming is totally different. There are some things that must transpire before the second coming of Christ can happen. Now look at Matthew chapter 24. For instance, look at verse number five. The Bible says in verse number five, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And so the Bible says that many are gonna come in his name, they're gonna say that I'm I'm Christ. We say, pastor, that's happening right now. And you're right about that. That is happening right now. Look at verse number six. The Bible says, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. So before the second coming of Christ, we're gonna, there's gonna be w- uh, wars and, and rumors of wars. You say, pastor, that's happening right now. You're right. It is. Look at, number, look at verse number seven. For nations shall rise against nation. Man, I'm just coming down the road tonight to church and, and the news brief pops up on my phone and Syria is threatening Israel. And and we're seeing nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Verse seven, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) Nobody would debate that we're gonna see pestilence. We've seen pestilence this year, which is another word for disease. Coronavirus, COVID, COVID and all these other things. Uh, the Bible talks about pestilence. The Bible talks about famines. It talks about earthquakes. You say, Pastor, we're seeing all that. You're right. Look at verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. Listen, church, we're even seeing, we're even seeing some of that today. In fact, did you know there are more people that were martyred in the 20th century than any other any other time in history? And so we are seeing people killed. All right, look at verse 10. The Bible says in verse number 10, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. Well, that's not a news brief. We saw that in 2020. He doesn't have a mask. Get ready. Let me tell you what we're getting ready to see. He hadn't had the vaccine. Don't let him in. He hasn't taken the shot. And so the Bible says uh, that that these things are going to happen before the second coming. You say, Pastor, all these things. Verse 11 talks about false prophets. Verse 12 talks about the love of many shall wax cold. Verse 14 says the gospel shall be preached in all the world. Now, there are some who would argue that that's happening right now. And, and people say, preacher, that's happening, that the gospel's being preached in all the nations of the world with the internet and the world wide web. But I want you to understand something. And I looked this up to make sure that I was accurate on this. Only about 59% of the world has access to the internet. And so we, don't, we take it for granted because we just pull it up and we Google something every other hour. And yet there are people all over the world who don't even know what the internet is. In fact, there are at least there are at least 13 countries that restrict internet access completely. And their people aren't allowed to have internet. Now you say, "Pastor, all of these things are happening." But hang on, we're not done. Look if you will at verse number 15. The Bible says in verse number 15, "When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now, abomination of desolation. You say, Pastor, what is that? Let me tell you what that is. That's when the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple and he will demand that the world worship him. Now, church, that hadn't happened. And so our Bible says that the second coming of Christ is not gonna come until we see the abomination of desolation. Verse 16 talks about a fleeing from Jerusalem. Verse number 21. Look at verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation such as not since the beginning of the world to this time no nor ever shall be. Church, that had not happened yet. In fact, there are people who say, we're in the tribulation now. And I'm thinking, man, have you read the book of Revelation? <laughs> There's no way that we can be in the tribulation period now. And so the Bible says there's gonna be great tribulation. Hey, uh, verse 23 and 24 talks about more false Christs, but look, if you will, at verse number 29. The Bible says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Look at verse 30, verse 30, first two words, verse 30. And what's the word? And then, and then, shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So people say, well, there, there's, not two, you know, there's not several different events. You know, there's just one big, gigantic resurrection, one final judgment. It's not according to the Word of God. Not according to the Word of God. There are some things that must happen before Jesus will come back in his second coming. And so the first resurrection made the last resurrection possible The resurrection at the last day will come in two phases, the rapture and the revelation. But let's end this thing on a very positive note tonight. How about this? Number three, God's children can be assured of a resurrection. Now I want you to take your Bibles tonight. I want to show you some amazing scripture tonight. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter one and we're we're gonna bring this thing to a close tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter one. And look at verse number 20 tonight. Oh, this is so good. Second Corinthians chapter number one. And look at verse number 20. Here it is. You say, Pastor, how do you know? I mean, how can you be so sure that, that we're looking for a resurrection, that, that the Lord's gonna take us out of this old troubled world? You say, Pastor, how can you be so sure? I'm getting ready to show you. 2 Corinthians chapter one, verse number 20. Man, I'm about to run right now. I, I ain't got it read yet. The Bible says, for all the promises of God in him are yea. And in him, amen. You know what that word amen It means so be it unto the glory of God by us. Now he which established us with you, uh, us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us is God. Watch this now, church. Who hath also sealed us and hath given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts? You know what that earnest of the Spirit's talking about? It's talking about the Holy Ghost. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. In other words, God said, "When I saved you." I put my Holy Spirit inside of you. And he called it the earnest. The business world knows what earnest is. They know what earnest money is. You know what earnest money says? Earnest money says I'm buying something and I'm so passionate about purchasing that. I'm going to put some earnest money on top of that. And that means this don't mess with it. That's mine. Oh, yes, good neighbor. That's mine. I'm coming back for it. I've already put a down payment on it. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. It's mine. I'm coming back to get it. I put earnest money down on top of it. And God is saying this to his church. Listen, you can be assured that I'm coming back. I know there's problems. I know there's turmoil. I know there's trouble. I know that, that there's burdens. I know that there's violence. I know that there's sadness. But God says this, hey, church, I want you to understand. I have put earnest money down on you. I've given you the Holy Ghost. I've given you a down payment. And this is what it says. I'm coming back to claim what is mine <laughs> take your Bibles real quickly and turn over to the book of Ephesians this is just too good not to show you Ephesians chapter 1 man oh man Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse number 13 you say pastor how can you be so sure How can you be so sure that Jesus is coming back for us? Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. Here it is, church, in whom you also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth. You didn't get saved before you heard the word of truth. You got saved after you heard the word of truth. Somebody says, I've always been saved. That's not according to scripture in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. Here it is. (laughs) Ye were, what's the word? Oh, man. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Let's skip over a page and look at Ephesians chapter four and verse number 30. Don't forget who Paul's talking to. He's talking to the Ephesians here. That's very important. Ephesians chapter four, verse number 30. And Paul says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are, what's the word? Sealed, Sealed unto the day of redemption. Now we have a perfect Bible. And, but there's a reason that the Holy Spirit put that word sealed in there. And there's a reason that Paul used it when he was talking to the Ephesians. And part of the reason was because the Ephesians could identify with sealed. They knew what that meant. When Paul used the word sealed, they, they could relate to that. They tell us that many, many years ago that Ephesus was indeed a seaport. And that one of the major, oh, this is so good, church, that one of the major industries in Ephesus was timber. Are y'all ready for this? Man, this is gonna help you. And so way up the river, away from the sea, were these lush forests, and these companies would go up in those lust forests and they would fail these trees and, and they would get them down to the river and these logs would flow down the river to the seaport of Ephesus. And here comes, you—you you could in your mind, picture that river and here are all these new cut logs as they're flowing down the river and they're received there in the seaport at Ephesus. But as all these logs are finally making their way down to the sea, There's all these log jams. Logs are running into logs and logs are laying on top of each other. And somebody says, preacher, how did they know which logs belong to who? Because those owners, man, I'm telling you what, somebody better bar the door. I'm about to take a run tonight. Before those owners would fell the tree, they would put their seal upon them they would place their personal seal on those logs and then they would fell that tree and they would put it in the river and that river would flow, that, that log would flow down the river to the seaport of Ephesus and they would get all log jammed and those workers would start going through the logs but they would look at that seal and they would say I know exactly who this log belongs to and I know exactly where it's supposed to go you say preacher how in the world is God going to keep it all straight with everything that's going on in our world and one of these days when he resurrects us out here I tell you why because hallelujah about 39 years ago in a little country office in a little backwood church. I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ, and when I did, he put his seal upon me. And listen to what he said in John chapter 6, verse 39. And this is the Father's will which has sent me that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up again at the last day. Wow. Wow. Hey, can I ask you a question? Have you got the seal? Have you got the seal tonight? Has God sealed you as one of His? If you get involved in that great log jam of life, can people find the seal where they know that you're a child of the living God? If you're here tonight and you don't know that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that that you're saved and born again and on your way to heaven. And here lately, to God be the glory. We've saw so many people walking the aisles and giving their heart to Christ and you know what, it could be tonight on a Wednesday night. I think it's the 21st of July. It could be there's somebody here tonight and you say, Pastor, I don't know. I, I, I wanna know, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure I'm sealed. I don't know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. A preacher, if that resurrection took place today, I, I'm not sure that, that I would go. Well, hallelujah, you can know before you leave tonight. Would you bow your heads with me all over the house? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your precious book. And God, how our hearts have been so encouraged tonight. Oh, God, I don't deserve that seal. I don't deserve your so great salvation. I don't deserve that redemption. I can't explain it. Outside of Jesus, there is no explanation. Lord, I'm so glad I'm yours. I'm so glad I belong to you. I'm so glad, Lord, that you're the first fruits because of your resurrection. One of these days, I can look forward to being resurrected and leaving this place called Lodabar and sitting at the palace and at the feet of the king. Wow. God, it could be there's somebody here tonight that doesn't know that they're going to heaven when they die, but they want to go. God, tonight I pray that you'd work in their heart and I pray tonight would be the night. And our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and real quickly tonight, I wonder how many are here this evening with heads bowed and eyes closed and just for a few moments, nobody looking around. And you'd say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I know for sure that I would go to heaven. I know I can take you back to the place, the time I know that I've been born again. You can slip your hand up. Preacher, I know you can lower your hands. Hey, is there one here tonight? I promise you, I won't embarrass you but I sure would like to pray for you. Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not 100% sure that I would go to heaven, but I'm 100% sure I want to go. Preacher, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. And right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, you just slip your hand up. You'd say, Pastor, remember me. Is there one anywhere can I pray for you tonight? If you're watching by way of the live stream this evening, and you say, Brother Pope, I don't know that I know that I'm going to heaven. There's a number on the bottom of your screen 704 327 5662. I want you to call that number right now. Call that number. And we have someone who wants to talk to you on the other end. I wonder how many are here tonight. You'd say, Pastor, I am saved, but if that resurrection, took place tonight, if the rapture were to occur tonight, well, I'm not sure that I'd be ready to see Christ. I am saved, but I'm not sure I'd be ready to see Christ. If you're here tonight and there's a question, if there's any question, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to make your way to an altar tonight and do business with the Lord. Maybe there's somebody here this evening that needs to rededicate your life to Christ or maybe there's someone here tonight and you say, Pastor, I I have been saved but I've never followed the Lord in baptism. Not the member of a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. We need to join. Whatever it is tonight, I'm gonna invite you to come. Would you stand with us all around the house tonight? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had together. God, I I don't know about anybody else, but man, oh man, my heart's been so encouraged tonight. Lord, even more than I expected, I think. Lord, thank you that I'm sealed. Thank you, Lord, that I've been given the earnest of the Spirit of the living God. Thank you for that down payment that's been put upon me. Father, thank you for loving me that much that you would secure my resurrection. Father, have your way in this invitation. Speak to hearts. Maybe there's some that need to respond. Have your way now, please, and we thank you in Jesus' name.